Welcome to the Lazy People Podcast, the podcast about all things technology and people and technology in Belgium, of course, from outside of Belgium. My name is Errol Baikal, and I'm here with my co-host, Metzian. Hey, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, today on the show with us, we have Stan Anthony, who is uh, a UI designer at Intracto. And uh, he's been a designer for a very long time, I think. Stan, you care to correct me? Yeah, no, it's quite uh, quite a good description of my <laughs> of my life. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, I, I would like to imagine, you know, there's uh, more to Stan than than your life as a designer at Intracto. But today, the focus will be on on that part of your life. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> Maybe a bit more uh, about your background, like what did you study? Uh, how did you end up in design? Well, I started studying, um, well, more of a, a technical background in the, well, I don't, I'm, first problem, I don't know what Middlebar School is in English. Uh, that's okay, high, which is a high school. Yeah, high school. Well, I started um, technical science, but then I switched in the fifth year to um Graphical uh, design of multimedia uh, design was it uh, back in the days, um, and then uh, there I I got into I, well I I, I learned uh, Photoshop or I, I got to know Photoshop in the in a classroom, but like the saying goes, you only get to learn the programs if you try a lot at home and if you you. You fiddle around with it uh, on your own time, uh, so I did that a lot, um, and I liked it. So then I, uh, when I got to uni, I uh, I also chose a, a graphical design. Uh, well, the the correct term was graphical techniques, uh, techniques, um, and um, after that I went for another bachelor. It's a very interesting. Thing I'm saying here, but uh, after that I went for another bachelor, um, and uh, but I didn't finish it, so I just went uh, to work. Was the the second bachelor also um, like you 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 basically did university level study on design, and then uh, you you wanted to pursue even further? What was that field also in in design and graphics, or was it something unrelated? It was kind of related, but it was more like um, I've the first university degree I. I went for was uh, in the neighborhood, so I for, next to my hometown there was a university, so I didn't need to go um, have um, um, uh, live in a student apartment. Yeah, yeah. like in a student apartment. Um, and when I finished my first degree, my parents said, "Well, if you want to taste, uh, have a taste of that life, you can always, always <laughs> okay. go out, find another thing you want to study, and uh, maybe find out uh, if that's." Your thing, but the only condition my parents told me was uh, I had to um, I had to um, find a, a certain field of uh, of study that kind of was supplementary or complementary. And, and what I, did you uh, pick, if I if I may ask? Uh, commercial communication, in, which, uh, which is uh, fancy speak for marketing, or yeah, yeah, well. Yes and no. It's a, a very broad basis of economics, um, digital techniques, photography, um, and language skills. 
Uh, and then in the later years, you kind of specialize in marketing, PR, uh, journalism, or more a graphical kind of way. Okay. Hey, Stan, um, it's interesting that you were in high school studying, uh, what did you say, like uh, some te technical? Uh... Yeah, uh, it, it's yeah, um, it's technique wetenschappen in Dutch. Oh, you, you were in, in like a, a technical science uh, direction, and then and then you decide to uh, do uh, multimedia slash graphics, and then you end up uh, going pursuing a university degree in that, which you even actually uh, consider supplementing with further studies, and you end up working in this field. So, the, the real question to me at this point is: What made you change from that? technical science thing to the multimedia graphics thing in high school did you at a certain point have have an epiphany like oh i, I need I, i'm I, i need to do do this thing instead of the other thing or were you looking for something um how did that process uh unfold well um i was i will i was brought up in a, in a very small town in uh, in belgium and uh in that town there was one high school And they had it didn't have a lot of options, so it was either the, the direction I chose or uh, move house. Uh, well, move houses is maybe a little bit sounds a bit dramatic, but I had to uh, go to some other town far far, far away to get uh, the, the the degree that I I maybe wanted. But I think the most important thing is in in that starting um, in that period of my life, my parents. We're like, yeah, you go to that school, and you you're just gonna follow the same same educational path that yeah. Everyone... Well, we, we are talking like you you're like what fourteen, fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, well, okay. Straight out of um, secondary, uh, or, yeah. yeah, secondary. Yeah. So it's I didn't have a lot of say in the first part, and then in the in the fifth year, I was like, it was a, a lot of chemistry, uh, physics. Um, a lot of hard sciences, yeah. A lot of hard sciences, uh, a lot of mathematics, and I, th I wasn't really very good at that. Uh, I liked making my own soap and uh, doing all kinds of experiments during chemistry class, and uh, I, I was very interested in it. But uh, it's it was a lot of like carbon chemistry was a was a an extra addition of of creation, a level an extra level of craziness. So uh, <laughs> it was a bit at, at, above my my head so um i failed the fifth year and then i got the, the actually a choice or or i'd um um i descend in the ladder of uh mm -hmm. of of the the educational system in that school or i I'll, i'll try to find another um direction and that was my my ideal opportunity i had um, a few friends in my classroom that also uh, failed <laughs> and uh, we were talking and we were kind of browsing all the, the different kinds of possibilities uh, in neighboring towns and uh, and and that one came up and i said oh, that's that's what i want to do and so your friends um so first of all it, it sounds like uh you know it, it's quite a journey you had in in my opinion uh so in another in an alternate universe i can envision you working as a chemist now for some <laughs> a big big industrial company but you and your friends um uh, all of you went into uh studying multimedia slash graphics 
Uh, did most of them end up in the industry or uh, would you rather say that you're the exception? Um, I'm the exception, I think, because I have um, the two other friends that went, uh, well, that also uh, went in the graphical direction. Um, long story short, they, they ended up in another school, <laughs> but the same kind of, the, the, also a graphical um, direction. Um, they ended up uh, doing something entirely different. So, yeah. Okay. So the reason for me asking this is, you know, you say, ah, oh, chemistry and, and sciences, it was difficult and uh, it, it had a whole other level of uh, craziness, I think you called it. But then you go and do something like design <laughs> or graphics, which for a lot of people, like Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but... For a lot of people, you, if you ask them, you know, be creative, I think they'd rather just crunch numbers because it will be easier for them because crunching numbers is easy. You follow the rules, right? Um, and uh, when you're designing something, you don't have those gu so guidelines. So I think uh, it's it's uh, a bit of a serendipity that uh, you ended up doing it, but uh, you were maybe drawn to it, but it, it you 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 felt at home in it as well so that you pursued your studies and, you know, you've been working as a graphic designer for now for, I think, well over a decade, right? Yeah. Like, you've professionally, you're working as a... Yeah. Well, I, I started out with all the, the graphic stuff when I was in the in the first high school. Um, and uh, it was like... Uh, well, you know, it, it was a time when uh, when you, like... We're on the internet. It was the start of the internet in the nineties. Um, there were mm, like the big boom, yeah, yeah. There, there were games were being played, clans were being formed, and when I was in a sort of a clan for the Quake Two um, at the time, uh, I was always, oh, we need a website. Well, I'll I'll, I'll do it, uh, and then I figured it out on myself uh, playing with with front page and uh, with with some basic. Uh, HTML tools and some some web tools like uh, I think it was called Xara Web Style Design where you make some some animated 3D spinning titles and stuff and uh, that's how I got rolled into it uh, and that was growing to to, a, to a, a peak when I was failing the fifth year so that was like the point where I said oh, I, I really enjoy doing these kind of website mm -hmm. things maybe I can do it for a living or at least okay well i'm, I'm, I'm just yeah, glad ahead. the um, you know the the soap making did not end up in some uh, fight club <laughs> type of clan you know uh, which is you know no but it's, it's interesting the um well i think what what's interesting here is that you started you kind of knew what you wanted kind of early uh it may have been like your not your only choice, but like one, not too many choices you had, but at least you get to it and you, you stuck to it. So um, in the long run, it has value, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with Matt. I think you, you were uh, pretty lucky in, in how this uh, all turned out because you are doing something that you love doing and you have the opportunity to study it. And, uh, you know, I think it's more... Like a, you've been drawn to to the um, to the craft, and not uh, uh, you know 
it's not that you're like, I don't know what to do, and I'll just happen to do this. No, I think it was already there, as you say, even before you started the study, you were playing in this um uh in this atmosphere. Also interesting is the 90s. Um like growing up in those years, I remember uh broadband internet coming to, to regular households in Belgium. The personal computer uh, was coming out of the, you know, the darkness it was in in Belgium before that period. You know, we used to have computers at, at my place uh, since I was a kid, but most households didn't have computers. Most households didn't have like uh, internet connections, uh, let alone uh, broadband. It was a very fertile atmosphere for uh, a lot of people in tech, and a lot of people uh, who were hobbyists in that time, uh, whether they were building computers, building networks, building websites, I see them in in, uh, in the industry today. Yeah, it, it was actually quite a fun time because I, we had one one computer in the home. It was like a family computer, but actually it was just my dad's PC. And the only time he didn't he didn't use it was when I was I was on it or when my sister was was uh, surfing the net. But that was in the time that every time you had to, you wanted to go to the on the internet, it was like beep 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 toot toot. Yeah, the dial-up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody can, can can call. So I I have I know I rem I fondly remember. I will fondly I, I can I can remember a lot of ar arguments with my dad because I was on the internet on the internet too long and and they expected the phone call or yeah. Or you know, when the when the phone bill came back in the days. Oh uh, yes, yes, I was on Planet Internet. <laughs> it was uh, uh, and you had CompuServe. You know, back in the days, you know, you got these CDs with free internet. Okay, but uh, let's let's not go there. That's, <laughs> yes. that's uh, for a different topic. Yeah. Uh, well, I have a question actually. Um, is it for 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 designers? Um, is it how is the market? Is it like a small market? Like you kind of know know people. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. So for me as a developer in Belgium, at least, I um, I might start working on a new project and you, and you find, for example, the name of somebody and you say, oh yeah, I know this one, you know? So you can like stumble um, upon, upon people that you've known or like a, people are kind of known somehow a bit. Not, I, I don't, that doesn't mean I know all the, all the developers. <laughs> Uh, all the uh, Xamarin or, or, or .NET developers, by no means, but it's not surprising for me to find like some person, um, you know, have worked on a specific project. But at least for us in code, you kind of have this kind of uh, references to people, whether in their commits, uh, code commits, or whether in their documentation. Is is there such a thing in for designers? Well, we. We know a lot of uh, well, a lot. Th there are a few um, agencies in Belgium that are like uh, top of the bill when it comes to design. So we know those well, designers, but not not by name per se, but oh, yeah. but, but by but by company. Um, but the most um, how can I put this? But the most um, famous or the the your name can be known by other designers by participating in. Um, in conferences, I guess, and uh, I go to one almost every year. It's called Off in Barcelona, but they also have some in um, in Antwerp these days, in in, in Amsterdam, in in Russia, in Israel. But um, the the main 
the main one was always in in Barcelona, and it's 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 kind of an inspirational um, conference. So you go there, and people come there to talk about their work. What was the brief? How did they tackle the project? Uh, what were their struggles throughout the project? And it's it's real interesting to to look at the project that way and to know um, how they tackled. There. Could you give an example of, of a presentation like that that you found inspirational? Like, what, what was the, the challenge that this person was trying to overcome? Oh, um, that's a very good question. I can't remember one okay, if you don't know, If you don't know off the top of your head, that, that's not important. Because I have another question. You mentioned um, <clears throat> that there are some companies in Belgium which are considered top of the bill. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you said... Um, we might not know who the individual artist is that works in that studio or what you call them studios, right? Or I don't know. Yeah. Or agency. But, but... Yeah, potato, potato. Okay. Like uh, this, this agency said, so, okay, instead of the individual being known, it is uh, the, the agency that makes a name. How come uh, some of these agencies then manage to create that name for themselves? Is it because they, uh, attract the right people because they pay a lot of money or because there's a culture that gives a lot of freedom of expression? Or do you think it's just like pure luck and a bit of uh, branding hype? I think it's a, a combination of all the aforementioned things. Um, it's also like, if I, I'm going to just drop a name here it's like dog studio in in belgium they they create they're they're um located somewhere in the southern part of in the french speaking part of uh, belgium they're they're really good at what they do so it's like it, if i was a des- an up-and-coming designer and i was looking for like where can i start my career or where can i what's my goal to reach in my career i would say yeah working there would be awesome because you know that all the 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 big part of talented designers really really talented talented designers work at a dog studio or okay and, uh, is it dog studio or dog studio yeah dog okay so uh i'm gonna ask the question sorry matt please let me allow please allow me to ask this what is then good output Right? What is quality output? How do you recognize quality output? How does the market recognize quality output? Huh. It's it's um, creating great shit, using the words of Dark Studio, but um, for 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 really cool clients, um, and and maybe even um, yeah, just just just. They they tend to um, the standard workflow of most agencies still is um, analysis in a very broad term um, wireframes and then design and animation is something that was put on afterwards or maybe thought of during the design phase but not really implemented very well. Um, and Doc Studio makes um, well combines all those things seemingly into one process. So the end result is always very interactive and 
very um yeah good to look at and uh i don't know how oh. okay so these are what? yeah go ahead matt sorry no go ahead continue so these are the the you mentioned uh, a workflow so you're talking about methodology um but you also said that according to you you think you have a gut feeling that talented people whichever way you want to define them might be attracted to these agencies because they have uh like a branding uh, people consider them to be the, the top of the bill like you said you even named one of them and you also say, say they have cool clients and you say the output is always more interactive um but to me it, it feels like it's difficult to to really pin something on it right because uh, you could say what is the best steel factory in belgium uh, here are here are the quality uh, measures for good steel, and here is the volume output of each company. And you could just say, oh, here you have the top one. You know, they deliver quality on time, every time, and they can uh, process large orders. It's easy, right? Yeah, for metal it is. Yeah, but then you go into things like design, and I feel like even you. And this is not an accusation; it's just like an observation. It's difficult, right, to say what what's yeah, what's good. It, it's like the old saying goes: "Beauty is in the eye of the beholder." And and design is partly um, must stress the partly also uh, that way. Um, of course, design isn't just making stuff beautiful; um, it's also um, creating the best product to satisfy. The, your client's customers' needs. So it's a combination of a lot, but the design part is uh, is very subjective, of course. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask was, so this this um, agencies or studios, they do they do have an influence on one style, one the individual that works in a specific place. You think they will be a bit shaped by the style of this company or is that or is that not necessarily always the case well i think what actually defines a great agency or a design agency at least or an agency that designs great stuff is that they don't have a a blatantly specific style that they can um tackle almost every project with not necessarily um a result that you could define as oh they made this stuff if that sounds okay <laughs> yes but it sounds counterintuitive at the same time <laughs> right <laughs> you're like, okay it's difficult so it like let's say banksy is one of the, the well-known artists his you know people know about him they talk about him and he's got a style um, and now with the agency, um, <clears throat> it's the other way around. You want to, like, the, the top agencies are those that can, like a chameleon, like, transform themselves in, in whatever the needs of the customers are then. But uh, I want to uh, further on, on Matt's question is the, the influence of the individual of the, on the agency or the agency having influence on the individual. Um, 
let's say you're a designer, like, well, you are a designer, but not that, uh, the, the one you talked about, but, but you do design. So there's a customer comes in uh, and they have an idea about what they want. How much impact does the designer have on changing the idea of the customer? and therefore impacting the, the style of the output. Um, wait, could you ask that question okay. again? I, I'll, <laughs> I'll rephrase it. You know, <clears throat> what Matt said, uh, where he said, the uh, does the company have influence on the individual designer? Like, do they impact their style? Uh, and my question uh, picks up on that and says, you're, you're a client and you go to one of these agencies the, do you have impact on the output or will these agencies just say, no, no, we're going to dictate what we're going to do? I.e., does the agency have impact on the customer or, is, or has the customer impact on the agency? Well, that depends on both the agency and the, the customer because I'm, I'm guessing some agencies, um, I'm not going to say they're going to choose their, their clients, but they, I think they have... Um, a very um, firm rule book as to um, what they allow uh, in, in, in what kind of ways they allow the customer to influence uh, the entire design bit. Um, because in an ideal situation, um, the, 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 the customer just comes to an agency with a brief, like that's the goal we want to achieve, that's the, the message you want to communicate. And the agency completely um, decides how how the message will be communicated or how the the project will be formed. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you you get a lot of creative freedom. Yeah, I think in a in a in a in a in a in a very creative um, uh, agency, you you get a lot of freedom. Or, or at least, they they think about about it, the entirety of the project, and totally go for it. And yeah. So with this lot of freedom that you have, do you ever feel like um, so the challenge being uh, in having to be creative on behalf of somebody else is that difficult? Uh, do you need to find inspiration every day? That depends because I'm I've I've been talking a lot about creative agencies and stuff, and I work in a in a, a big agency, um, well, in a big company, um, and we have a lot of clients and a lot of projects, and the the matter in which we can be creative depends on the scope of the project, of course. Because we have small projects, we have big projects. The bigger the projects, normally the bigger the budget for design. Um, but it all depends. It's... If you have a small project with a small budget, you can only be creative in a certain way. Okay, um, well, for, for, the, for this thought experiment, let's assume we have infinite funds. And the, the, the question then still remains like the the burden of creativity lies on your shoulders. Yes, yes and yeah, yes and no. It, it's if, if the if the, the 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 customer or the client or the the 
your your customer as a designer if they have a, a very good brand guide um, and and a well thought of um, position. Uh, it's easier to create something for for those companies um, when they have a, a, a an already defined style. Um, well, at least that's that's my opinion. Um, yeah, I would like that, to you know draw there the line further and say it seems to me like if the customer knows what they want, it's easier to give them what they want. Yeah, that's the yeah. yeah that's a, that's a good gist of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I have a question for Stan. Um, so, uh, is there in in your type of work is there such a thing as you get a new project and you and you say, well, oh, this one resembles one I've done before, and you kind of um, morph what you've done before, or that's not you know that's not really. Uh, or that's probably a bad thing, you know. Uh, that has always has to be created from scratch. Yeah, it it does happen, um, especially in the in the in the smaller projects. Um, like, if it, if it's a bit big project, you have um, a total of a, a, a week, maybe a week and a half of design time. But if it's a small project and you only have like a day to design an entire website or or sometimes even less, then then it's I think it's it's a logical reaction that you just uh, kind of look into your bag and see what 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 trips tips and tricks you have in there or or what what kind of uh, design objects you have in your library that you make maybe adjust a little bit or tweak a little bit in, in function of the the project you you have to work on. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, another. Sorry if I'm, you know, asking too many <laughs> questions, but um, well, if he doesn't so, like questions, he shouldn't be on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. So, okay, so so Stan, let's say um, do you have a a, um, a corporate image that needs to change from A to to B, right? Um, do you have? Uh, obviously, depend on the on the on the budget and how the project is, but you you do you would you would some sort of transition where you would say, well, well, we have to move, we cannot go directly from this point to this point. We have to first um, go with this this way uh, or this point here for up in the middle, or maybe uh, have multiple iterations where you would every time make minor changes until we end up in something new. Or um, does that does that happen? Or um, I, uh, multiple iterations from one style to another is not really something that happens, uh, or not to my knowledge. Mostly, when 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 some kind of customer has a, has done a rebranding, it's, it's whether it's it's with us or or at someone else's uh, with someone else. Uh, it's just a, a simple, uh, well, a simple. It's just a, a direct cut from one style to another um, because. Neither A nor B is, I think, a fair, not really uh, a clear for neither, uh, not for the customer and not for for the the brand itself. So, yeah, I do think you see this with you know rebrandings. As, you know what I see in Belgium, at least, is you know companies completely changing their name and logo and color 
in one like suddenly they're fluvius. <laughs> like what is this Uh, especially banks tend to do that in Belgium I have a feeling you can trace back some of these you know it was um, Belfuse before it was Belfuse it was something else and then it was Chimit Credit or uh, Credit van de Neveret etc completely different logos completely different names completely different colors Uh, yeah and uh what I'm wondering is, you know, as people change brands, they're not changing brands because what they used to have was wrong, right? The brand that the customer had at a certain point, like customer had look and feel A, and it worked for them for a decade or even two decades. Or maybe they've been using it for a century, who knows? And suddenly they, they feel like we, we're going to change it because they sense that that image of, or that branding doesn't work for them anymore. They, they want a fresh new look. Like it's like a fresh uh, coat of paint, right? Yeah. Um, this to me seems to indicate that the idea of branding is extremely subjective. If it's not subjective to personal opinion, which it definitely is, it is subjective to the zeitgeist. Yeah, I think that's that that rings true for almost every aspect of design. It's like you have the sixties at at a very different um kinda um wallpaper than than the eighties or, or the thirties or and I think you can you can might as well draw that line to brands because um if if like just just saying, uh, like red could be the color these days, and uh, in the nineties, or and and, uh, and 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 squares are are the shit in the nineties. But uh, but ten years later, it's uh, it's something else. And if your brand still communicates their branding with a dated styling, then then some people won't perceive your brand as as a and did you witness such changes in, throughout your career? Because you know, you've been doing this for, you know, n- non-professionally, you've been doing it for almost two decades, right? Yeah, well, uh, there are almost yearly things you can, or yearly changes to the, to the, to kind of design elements that evolve like okay can you enlighten uh, Matt and myself a bit i maybe Matt doesn't need that as much but i'm d- pretty blind for these I kind need of it things. more than you probably yeah if it's so. not zero it's one that's it for us it's really simple <laughs> well uh it's pretty it easy uh, some um like a few years ago um just simple design was was not really that great. Well, was not really um, appreciated in the design world. Uh, it had to be uh, well. Now I'm talking about two decades difference, of course. But like drop shadows were the thing to do. Uh, well, back in the '90s, uh, marquees were were like cool and marquees anyway. like the moving text or yeah, the, the moving text uh, and and. Now it's all it's for us more um, simplified. It's like um, yeah, the, 
I don't know if you know that about the, about the material design. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we know. I know of it. I obvious. mean, I don't know the theory behind it, except for making everything look uniform. Yeah, yeah, but but it's it's all it's much more simplified now. Uh, it used to be. Uh, well, actually, hold on. Ah, Med. Ah, look, I do have something to say about this, and I'm think I think you're gonna latch onto this as well. Remember when uh, Apple, our favorite company, to bring up as an example in this show. Remember when Apple moved somewhere in iOS, whatever, from uh, the old design, which was uh, what they called skeuomorphic or something, um, to the flat design? Is this the the uh, the transition that you talk about? Like, it even brought Apple with them because you, you remember the old Game Center with the with the cloth background, the green cloth background, and the old Notes application on iOS. You had the fake leather uh, texture. The paper yep. texture, all of that is gone. In, in and instead of that, you got these flat, shadowless, um, cleaner, simpler designs. Well, actually, it's moving from those were like actual images of real items, real objects in life, um, moving to kind of representations like uh, more abstract. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I have to say, I do miss, like, if anybody out there listening, or e uh, either of you guys, remember the old podcast application on uh, on iOS? It had the little tape spinning, uh, you know, like those old tape players, and the, the buttons had, like, they looked like brushed steel, and they had this little touch on it that if you moved your iPhone, the, the, the shine on the... Uh, on the buttons would move along. It was really well done. And I missed that as well. So maybe it, my, my mind is stuck back in those days. Um, <laughs> oh, but that's a but perfect... to me, that brings... Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, but I was just saying that's a perfect example of of design trends shifting towards... Yes, it's design trends shifting, but then I would say, okay... Um, I just said I prefer the old podcast uh, application. It looked much nicer. Okay, um, so uh, you have to um, uh, consider then if I myself or or other people can say, "Oh, that was better," or "This was better." This brings us back to the extremely subjective nature of what good design is, right? So uh, as a professional designer, um, you are confronted with this uh, in the job you do. I can imagine that you draw something or you, know, you design something and you bring it to uh, a customer and they might say, holy cannoli, this has got to be the, the worst thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> And you're there, you know, you're there and you're, you need to accept this because, you know, imagine you're a software developer and you do something and, and it doesn't work or, you know, it's not as good as, as it's supposed to be. And they, they say something about it. You could, you know, it could be everything, but when it's design, it's literally you, like you, you designed that. Yeah, it's, How it's, do you cope with that situation? You must have like an extremely strong um, ego and, and 
you know, confidence in order to uh, to uh, deal with this type of customers. Unless, of course, you say, I never have that kind of reaction because I'm like the best designer in the history of mankind. And, and, I and would I'm believe you. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, you know, that uh, that gif of Homer Simpson when he simply blends and like backs up into the bushes. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I had the feeling of that gif uh, not so long ago um, when I had to um, redesign a website for a, a travel agency in Belgium. Obviously, I won't, I won't actually name the name, but um, and they were. Uh, they came in and they wanted a complete re overhaul of their website in a certain style. They kind of predefined vaguely, um, but they, well, long story short, they didn't really want to uh, waste time with um, an analysis of their needs. Uh, and wireframes were really not their thing. They had um, a, a, a kind of kind of thing they wanted to go for and he just said to me well you just start designing um this will this won't take long it's it's really easy like two hours and you're in the entire home base wow. we kind of had, had okay, but time. look look if I'm, I'm gonna really cut you off there so the customer comes in they say whatever workflow you have we don't want it and they're also estimating the work for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pretty much you could be like okay here's my photoshop why don't you do it yourself but I, i'm yeah, sorry it, for interrupting but well no it, it's okay but i i had real real strong feeling that shit would roll downhill towards me real soon uh when i kept that briefing so i'll i i, I mentioned it to my superior and he said uh, i said uh, i think don't think this is going to end well but um as they had a very limited budget and a very limited timetable, uh, we had to go through with it. So anyway, the, the client says, you know our style, you know what we're going for. Um, how would you fix this for you? So they were really personally say, stay within the boundaries of our brand guide, but you have free reign or, over how you You'd uh, you'd tackle this this design, but that's that's cool. But it's it's very difficult because a client always has something in mind. If they have a brand, they they always have certain limitations, certain um, aspects they want to see uh, come back in their their design, and you can always uh, well you can you can easily uh, forget to include those. If you have free reign, so anyway, I did. I did what what they told me. I I completely uh, went berserk um, in my design style um, within their brand or what I thought was their brand. Um, I presented it. Everything, everyone within the company was, yeah, that's great. It's really on brief. It's excellent. And we went in the, the, the uh, in the in the presentation. We present. I presented the design. Oh, I'm very sorry. Presented the design, and they were like, "Yeah, no, no. This is totally not what we wanted. This is the the worst translation of our brand we've ever seen." Uh, uh, and our they, they even they didn't even want to work mm -hmm. anymore. So okay. It's like. I've never had such a personal uh, moment. <laughs> uh, 
in my life. But uh, that must have been a punch in the gut because I can imagine uh, you go into a customer and you don't adhere to their guidelines, to their style guide, to their branding guidelines, and you come up with like different colors, different uh, style, different shapes, and they're like, "No, this is not us." But you're you say, "Okay, I'm going to stick to everything uh, that." that is predefined, like I'll play by the rules, but here's creative input from me as you expected. So basically here's a customer telling you, we don't like your talent. And because, but because it's extremely subjective. So what I'm trying to get at is that must be very painful. Yeah, it was. It's like rejection almost on a personal level. And um, I, I, I hope you don't get to you know, deal with it very often, but in a way there is nothing in, in the industry you're in to protect you from this. Like literally nothing. There is no standard by which we could say, no, this is good. You know, the creativity of this lies within the bounds of, of what you expected. Yeah. It's, it's always very dependent on, on the, the client themselves. And that's why we usually have a sort of um, introductionary phase in which we get to know the client, try to filter out the odds and ends of their their desires or their uh, or or what they they really want to see in uh, end up in the project. But if you skip all that and you just go full steam ahead, that these things can rarely happen, but they they can happen. But I think that this was ma- mainly an issue with with um, the the personal. Uh, approach of one of the of the marketing maybe it was also the timing issue because i can imagine for like you said this was a very limited project um in this case but in you know under normal circumstances there would be an iterative approach right you you wouldn't finish everything and then go like hey what do you what do you think it'd be like we're thinking of going this way and then they'd guide you more or less yeah well we, we we make a mood board um well, maybe mostly several mood boards, like three of them. And then we go to the client and say, is that like, these are three different paths we can go according to a design kind of style and um, icons, fonts, uh, the works. Uh, and they then they choose a mood board or a combination of several uh, little things across all mood boards. And then you have a very firm grasp of what their needs are or what they they expect what their expectations are from a project and then you can move forwards in the first design phase and mostly it's like 99% is on point then um, but if you skip those important first steps then oh. yeah sounds very very familiar um, I think Matt to uh, what we do uh, yeah, but uh, for us at least, it's um, uh, yeah. So the, there's the elements of creativity that for us it's uh, less in a sense. Uh, yes, that uh, is true. Because uh, our output could be kind of you know predicted ahead of time. Um, although the the way things are done could be one one would call sometimes could be creative. You know, you might develop something one way, someone else will do it a different way, but the outcome Let's is Let's put it this same. way, the creativity of the software engineer will be invisible because your your creativity in the implementation is 
you know, you could do find the, the most awesome implementation, but it's it's never exposed to the to the end user aside from you know they, they see the interface, right? Um, yeah. Hey, uh, do you have an, a question for Stan, or can I ask the final question of the episode because we're running out of time? I, I did have one question actually. Since since um, this is just to you know <laughs> pick his brain a bit. So you mentioned. Uh, well, Stan, structure directly. You mentioned uh, material design, and now I think we are in, you know, what being pushed is material design 2.0, if we'd call it. But okay, I get. I want to get your opinion on this. For example, material design, the most iconic thing in it would be the uh, the floating action button, which, in my opinion, um, Google tried to push that one so hard, which is good for mobile, but for the web. For them to have that button even in the web, that made no sense. That was really not intuitive, uh, difficult to use, not practical. What What's your take on that? On things like this, sometimes when you have like this whole package that says, "Okay, I am full material design, um, and these are the guidelines that you should follow," and and you you might not agree with what I'm saying, right? For the floating button, but um, uh, what what's your take on that? Well, um, oh, I think there's not one solution or one uh, design principle that that can be applied to all all different kinds of media. Um, so I wasn't a fan of the of the floating button on on desktop either. It was a uh, it's it, oh it's <laughs> no one would be to be honest with you. I yeah. mean, if you do, if if you you know statistically, if you if you do a a poll and ask people, majority would say no, that's not good because again, it was out of the way. It doesn't even fit the the heat map if we draw where where the mouse is and where the users are looking. It, yeah, yeah. It, I think you need to need to focus every 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 medium is is a is a separate. Uh, a mm-hmm. separate thing you, you should tackle. Um, mm-hmm. I agree 100%. You, you know, it, it's one of my pet peeves is when we get designs for mobile applications and it's just the iOS design. It's like, where's the Android one? Uh, just make it look like, like this. And that's horrible. <laughs> that's like the worst thing you could ever do. You've got a completely different platform. It's even got different hardware in that, you know, you've got other buttons on there. But this this fetish of iOS first design and then enforcing on the Android, as I really hate that. Yeah. You need to, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to you know um, mobile application design, is respect the platform because customers are really used to like users are really used to a certain platform, and when you don't respect that, they they immediately see that. You remember back uh, in the Windows day, well, for people still use Windows, <laughs> back when I used to use Windows, I remember there were some sometimes applications that thought they were very special and they you know circumvented the the regular uh, Windows, uh, you know, like the, the the regular frames. One thing that comes to mind is Real Player. Uh, another thing that comes to mind is Windows Media Player. Um, they they had these skins around them, and the the minimize, maximize, and and close buttons might might look different. And I can imagine 
the designers and the developers going like, oh man, this is so awesome. This is so fun to make. But if you're a user, you think, I really do not want this. Like, I could not care less. It, it doesn't look cool. Um, and I'm used to a certain idiom on a certain platform, right? I'm used to my buttons being on the same place. Don't mess yeah. with that because I have muscle memory. I have sight memory, like vision memory. Like I, certain colors mean certain things to me. Windows are supposed to behave themselves in a certain way. Now, uh, on, on mobile, this is the same thing. Like in, uh, forcing um, iOS widgets uh, onto Android or vice versa, big no-no. Like, uh, I, I don't like that. Um, that being said, Stan, um, can you tell me uh, recently what the, the best design thing was that you've uh, seen? The best design thing? Designed, designed, as in what what you think you looked at? It was like, wow, that's uh, that's really uh, well done. The design aspect of it. <laughs> Good question. Um, <laughs> nothing really comes to mind because I I haven't seen. Have you have you seen the the latest Lazy People logo? <laughs> <laughs> Were there several iterations? I've... <laughs> I've seen one. Okay. <laughs> Shoot. Damn it. Man, I thought uh, well, we were going to get a compliment. But... That's a bad example because all our logos were awesome. So it's difficult <laughs> okay. to choose between them, you know? Difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. There, there you have it. What is good design? It's good as long as we think it's good. <laughs> Very difficult stuff. Hey. Stan, thank you very much for being with us, for uh, you know explaining to us this very difficult topic of, of design, because you're not the, f- the first designer to be on the show with us. It's a very difficult topic to talk about. So thank you very much for taking the time um, and guiding us through this conversation. Yeah, you're welcome. I don't think I was really, really um, eloquent in my uh, <laughs> in my answers, but I hope you have some. You can do. You can do it with some, well, my English. Is I, I think. I think it's. Uh, I think it was a, a perfect uh, recording, and uh, your answers were perfectly fine. So I'm going to ask yeah. you then. Thank you, Stan. You're where, welcome. Where might people find you? Um, well, on, on Twitter, I guess I don't really have a portfolio or something. Um, so it's uh, Stan Ant on Twitter. Stan Ant. Okay, I'll add you into the show notes. Uh, hey, yeah, Med, where can people find you? Um, they can find me at medmed.com. That's M-A-D-M-E-D.com. Okay. My name is Errol Baikal, and you can find me on baikal.be, B-I-Y-K-L.be. And you, dear listener, thanks again for listening to us, and we hope to catch you in our next episode. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye.